We're here today with Eric Hudson from NRTH Digital. Um, Eric, tell, tell us who you are and what does NRTH Digital do? Well, RTH is a, a su successor company that was set up following the sad demise of my son. And we took over a number of important accounts uh, who were looking to have the same service that they, re they received from uh, my son's former company, which was Vanilla Storm. Um, we're delighted to say that what, four years on, uh, we're now successfully dealing with all of those clients, plus a lot more. We help companies actually become more successful in the use of digital technology, uh, including websites and mobile phones and uh, keeping their business alive and visible to everyone else. It's really important because a lot of people have a website and don't use it properly. And it can be a major help to their business, but it needs to be kept up to date. It also needs to be readable on a mobile phone uh, if that business needs to interact uh, with all the social media. So that's what we specialise in. And we keep growing by referral and long uh, may it continue. And I know you through networking. So are you the salesman of the uh, of the business? Actually, we don't have a salesman. It might sound silly. Um, we don't actually need a salesman. Um, Lucky we're you. a small company. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I've dealt with salesmen in the past and many in a former life. Uh, we have um, we have referrals and and things online, and, and a lot of business come to us through that referral basis. Recently, we did a very interesting website for someone in the Chelsea Flower Show, one of the main contributors that came to us through uh, a trustee of a charity that we actually did as a separate venture. Um, so things come to you in a strange way. We don't go out knocking on the road because we never felt the need to nor wanted to. And also, I don't want NRTH Digital to be an enormous company. I want to control it. So I like it as it is. Okay. Now, I've known you several years now, Eric, and uh, I know you've got a a checkered past uh, a pos in a positive way um you've been involved with manchester and a lot of people famous people in business aren't you so let's let's have a quick chat about that so um let's talk about the progress of the northwest and what manchester has made since the northwest development agency isn't it has yeah. left when did that leave what did they oh, do i'm trying to remember now it must be five six years ago now um Development Agency was was a government body set up to help the regions develop a little bit to to actually work and try and make the uh, the north south divide uh, reduce um, because it's still there and yes. many would say it's still larger than it was. Um, my role in involvement with the Development Agency was as Deputy Chairman of the Regional Assembly, uh, actually trying to bring together plans and strategic thought processes for a way forward. There was a strategic uh, spatial plan, there was a transport plan, there was all sorts of things that were put in place. But sadly, due to the uh, debacle in terms of the election uh, that was taken place in Newcastle, the whole assembly exercise was scrapped. A lot of people would say, what a great idea to get rid of another tier of government. But actually, the real value of the assembly and the development agency was the fact it brought people together. And I would question that people do need to come together. Yeah. Uh, I found it quite interesting that there were many events held at a regional level 
that brought people who had never even met, um, people in the same organization that never had met, um, and, and business people that simply didn't know that you know there was this activity going on. Sadly, it's now all stopped. Or has it? I have to ask myself. I don't really know because I see lots of networks and I see a lot of people individually from obviously a huge number of contacts that I had. Uh, but they don't ever talk about, they talk about it now as a good old days. The development age was the good old days. Right. So I don't know. Uh, you tell me. Is, is this where the Greater Manchester Combined Authority developed? It did develop, Agma as it was, yeah, or it is. Um, it did develop. Um, I must admit, since the my involvement with the digital company and my actual involvement with the, the region as such has diminished somewhat. I used to run a free website service called uh, Region Plus Northwest, uh, which is still up there on the uh, on site, putting together all the positive news because I can never find any. Um, you know, there's so many good things going on that nobody ever talked about it. The media was obsessed with anything that was, you know, negative. Yeah. Um, but we put together the positive bits, and there were some the major things happened that a lot of people would never have known about had they not had the opportunity to read. Uh, what we put together and that really came about as a result of the demise of the assembly because all these people that used to come together and the TUC and uh, ACAS and and all these organizations uh, that, that, that met um, had the opportunity to share best practice and everything else at a regional platform but it's gone and do you think we measure success by the number of cranes in the in the city? Well, a lot of people say that. I mean, I remember, without name-dropping, Sahad said his legacy would be uh, how many cranes he would leave when, when he retired yeah. uh, in Manchester. And fair dues, and, and what a fantastic job Manchester's doing. And I, I see more cranes every day. I mean, and, but what are they doing? What are they building? Are we building a, a metropolis of, of, of flats or sky-rise buildings? Um, I, I drive in from the Warrington side of Manchester, and I used to only see the Beetham Tower, and that was it. Now there's four or five. You know, you think, well, wonder what all they are. You know, and um, looks to me like buildings and offices. Is that successful or not? Um, the infrastructure, the roads are a mess. There's a lot of things that's not right. Yeah. But and it's a huge job. I mean, the number of canes that's up at the moment could carry on for the next twenty years. We still wouldn't get it all done. Still, lots of Manchester want developing. Um, What's the most prominent thing in Manchester that needs developing, would you say, in your opinion? Oh, the most prominent thing? Well, that's a difficult question because there's, there's a lot of it. I would see the most important thing would be to to take the kink out of the ring road, uh, even though Regent Street is being, being redeveloped. Yeah. It's three lanes. Over. I don't know any ring road anywhere around any town, any city in the world that crosses over itself. But it does in Manchester. That's weird. And it goes down a dip. It could have, surely could have gone up a higher level and one could have gone under and one could have gone over. Seems a bit queer, that. Uh, and it is a constant trouble. Even when the road is finished and the development is finished, it'll still be slow getting through there. And indeed, as you come round the back end of it, round the northern quarter, it's queuing all the time. It's crazy. Um, to me, I'd get the ring road done round Manchester so that people could get in and get out. Seems to me that it's hard to get in and even harder to get out. So yeah. I think the road infrastructure is really important. And I know that we've got a wonderful tram service and it's expanded miraculously in the last five years. And it's a credit to the city for that. 
However, not everybody wants to park and ride. And actually, it takes a long time. It takes me longer to get into the city from Eccles on the park and ride than just to drive to Eccles from Warrington. So I'm not so sure that's a great idea, but there you go. And what's your opinion on Deansgate with the right turns? <sighs> You're trying to put me on the spot now. And I be, am. Be, be pretentious. I am. Deansgate, I think, is evolving, and I think it'll continue to evolve. And one of the key things of Deansgate was, of course, the uh, the major shopping centre there, which uh, has been taken over. And do we know whether it candles, whether it will remain or not? Because you know, obviously, there's a big question mark about that whole group. Mm. Um, I think Deansgate is rapidly becoming a, a place of destination. You know, because the uh, the, the the running round of the uh, of of both uh, runners uh, and cars and all sorts of things and, and parades and everything. Yeah. Gate is almost becoming a a centre point for an event. So I wonder whether its history as being a a main shopping area is actually going to change quite dramatically into more of a you know because the number of weeks that you see the roads are closed, yeah. whether it's for bikes or whether it's for people, yeah. uh, Deansgate is developing. So I think, dodging your question, um, <laughs> I actually think it's it's in a stage of evolution. Do you think it would be better off if it was pedestrianised? Maybe, maybe. But why on earth do so many people want to come down there in a car? I think actually the answer to your question in terms of whether it's pedestrianised or not is to work out where everybody is going in the vehicles. Right. And how the flow is, and, and that's probably something vehicle maintenance, management and system analysis around Manchester could be considerably improved because it's not a car-friendly city. Uh, you know, I've been caught out several times when roads have changed, all of a sudden that road I could drive down now is bus lane. I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. Uh, and But I pay the fine. Yeah, I was just about to say, do you measure it on how many tickets you get? No, 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 no. Very rare occurrence, but you get caught once you won't do it again. And going back to, to, to business, I know we strayed. Um, how has the di digital marketplace changed in the past years, well, would you say? I, I'm interested very much in the, the digital marketplace because it's obviously on the business, business I have. I meet an awful lot of people who were just not up to speed. And I wonder, are they being signposted in the right way to find companies that can help them? How has Manchester Digital evolved? Uh, I'm very fortunate that my son, my late son, played a major role in the development of Manchester Digital. But where's it got to now? Where is Manchester Digital? What yeah. what, it, what is happening in the development of it uh, for the wider masses? And where, uh, what route is it taking? Because the world is changing dramatically. Four years ago, you never used your phone hardly at all. Now it's it's a computer in your hand. So. And so many things are changing. Video in Facebook, and it's just all sorts of things going on. The world is expanding rapidly, and the more modern uh, handsets are becoming even, you know, even more technologically advanced. So we need to keep up with this. And I wonder just what's happening with the whole development in Manchester because it did lead the rail a long time ago, and, and is it still? That's my provocative question. Well, at the moment, we're looking at 5G coming in, aren't we? I mean, yeah. Are you a big uh, big fan of that, I suppose, are you? Um, because we're all going to have to change our phones, aren't we, well, <laughs> to get on there? I'm not so sure how fast that will come in. Don't forget there's the big 
worldwide discussion going on about whether it should be handled by the Chinese. Yeah. And the Americans don't like that idea. No, and, they don't. and, you know, Apple being sort of based in Ireland, but very much driven by America, uh, I think is, uh, it's a problem that has to be solved. So I'm not scrapping my iPhone quite just yet, or buying a highway or whatever, Hawaii, what they're called. Um, 5G. I think, like everything that's new like that, you have to wait for the, the technology to work through. And the price to come down. Yeah, exactly. Although they've said the new models are going to be a little cheaper, but not a lot. Okay, smashing. And going back to the, the city, what uh, legacy did the Commonwealth Games leave Manchester, do you think? Well, first of all, I left a stadium, and uh, I I'm, know I'm that Manchester City was very pleased about that because it came out of Main Road, and, uh, and obviously when they'd taken the stadium down and narrowed the thing to a pitch, made a great ground. Uh, it also built a sports city, and it, it built a velodrome, and lots of wonderful development there, but there's still some way to go. Um, and I believe that the funding that, that was put into that uh, partially uh, by government uh, enabled there to be a sudden awareness of Manchester and it, 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 its legacy in sport. I mean, we've got we'd had City United for many years, yeah. um, and we'd had other major events uh, in the northwest that, that uh, focused across the world. But the Commonwealth Games brought actually the spotlight onto Manchester, um, and I think kickstarted a lot of things to develop. But I, being a concerned guy, I'd like to see more development in that area, um, because to be fair, it's the sports activity is really important to people. Social sports activity is is, is key part of our lives now, and and it seems that we've reached a certain point, and it's not gone any further. And I'd like to see more. I, I would. I mean, I'm sure everybody else would like to see more development in that area in East Manchester. In East Manchester, yeah. Well, they're looking at doing. Uh, well, they put planning uh, application in for an arena. Yeah. There, that's yeah. yet to be passed. Are you, are you in favour of that? Well, I think it would be a good idea to have an arena that wasn't on the verge of a congested city uh, with a very difficult. Well, we've got access. Manchester Evening uh, News. Oh, is it? Is it Manchester Arena? It's, it's not the MEN anymore, is no, it? No, it's the Manchester, Manchester Arena. Manchester Arena. <laughs> it shows how long yes, I've so, been. So yeah, I can right. edit. You can edit. <laughs> All right. Good. Please okay. I didn't want you to have to put too much work into it. But, uh, I mean, that is right in the heart of the city. And as you say, yeah. it can be a pain getting in. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it is a pain. It is a pain getting in. And, and the road, again, we've talked enough about roads. But the network getting in is also difficult to that. And particularly at a, a very busy time. If there's an event taking place at seven o'clock at night and there's still the the remnants of people getting out of city from work, it can be a real nightmare getting into there. So yes, an arena on the outskirts would be a good idea, in my opinion. I think it should be supported. Well, I suppose if they can cope with the thousands of fans that go to the Etihad Stadium, they can cope with the yeah. arena there, can't they? Yeah, I mean, it it does, you can, it it does cope with the fans quite well. I mean, yes, sometimes it does get you, but I've been. I've been at City several times when uh, my team's actually been there, uh, which is quite rare. Um, Who's that? Uh, but, uh, well, the last time I went there, my, my team, Nottingham Forest, beat City. So, uh, oh, Sir Clough. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't on the Clough, but yeah, it was um, quite a memorable evening. Excellent. Play, that team played out of the skin, but there you go. Now, you've met a lot of people in your lifetime. As I said, you're 
positive check of past, I said. But um, who's who have you met that's inspired you, or is there a few people that you can talk about who have inspired? I suppose, you? really, um, it's quite a long story, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and condense it down for you. Many moons ago, I was uh, chief executive of a major international company called Angelica. Angelica made the moon uh, landing uniforms. They're a uniform company. And many moons after I'd left Angelica, um, I went with the RDA invitation to an event at Tatton Park. And one of the speakers was Neil Armstrong. And Neil Armstrong gave a marvellous speech, wonderful guy, God rest his soul. And he was sat on a windowsill in the VIP area. And I went and sat at the side of him, which was fascinating because I actually got a burning question because I really wanted to know what he was thinking about, um, you know, on the moon. And because it was quite an event and he was a, a, a wonderful uh, uh, air pilot, uh, test pilot. And uh, so we got chatting and... Uh, uh, he said the, the uniform was interesting, but a bit hot to wear. Right. Um, but the, the most interesting point that he's, the point he made was that uh, the one memory he had of the moon landing was the fact that when he climbed the stairs from being on the moon yes. to go back into the spacecraft, he was wondering to himself, when he turned the key, would the motor start? And it wasn't about stepping down on the first step for man and all that. It was with the motor start when he got back in the pod. Because if it didn't, he'd never been in that situation before. He would have been marooned. And he actually said it started straight away. But there was uh, a bit of a problem with the starting. And, uh, um, um, you know, there was some yeah. handling going on, which was quite covered up. But yes, it did start and he did come away. But I suppose he, he perhaps... Uh, and I've met lots of people. I've been very lucky. I've met royalty and presidents and all that sort of thing. But uh, I thought that was a very inspiring conversation with a man who was calm as you could ever be. And I suppose you had to be to do that kind of job. Yeah. Um, sad that he was hounded after he came back into almost oblivion and became a recluse. And sadly, uh, when he passed away, buried at sea. But wonderful man. And so, I, you know, that, that's a memory I will keep for quite some time. And I joke with lots of people because... I did shake his hand, so sometimes I think, you know, this is the hand that shook the man who stood on the moon, so a bit of a funny story, really. But, uh, one of those things. Excellent. Career. Um, what do you think? Are leaders born or are they made? I think you can answer that question two ways. Um, some people are naturally born with a leadership bent. Entrepreneurs forging ahead, self-motivated, driving for some ambition. Um, but then other people come along who are forced into a situation where they have to be a leader because the career has taken them down that path and they have to change and have to adjust. Um, which one's the best? I don't know. But obviously when you are in a leadership position, and I have been in a number of cases, uh, it's a question of listening. It's a question of to others. Uh, it's a question of making sure uh, that your objectives are right uh, and that whoever you're leading and whatever the desired project that you're on with uh, receives the right attention uh, is uh, constantly in your mind. Interesting, sometimes leaders do talk to followers 
a lot. I remember vividly always having, when I was a chief exec of a big uh, uniform company, always talking to the cleaner first thing in the morning because they knew more about what was going on than anybody else. Um, so leadership and understanding how to, to take it forward is very important. The other sort of leader, of course, the political leaders are thrust into in, into a, a situation they, they didn't have before and sometimes it's a, a massive failure and sometimes it's a huge success. Um, how can you judge the, whether the president is right after all the finance that goes into putting there of America? Um, we had good presidents and a lot of people might say bad presidents. Um, so it's a question of balance. But it is difficult at the top uh, and it's difficult facing up to big decisions. And sometimes the leaders fail, not for the, the reason you would think. And some politicians think they're entrepreneurs, don't they? <laughs> oh, yes. You meet a lot of people in politics who've never never been in a business position in their life. They wouldn't know what it's like to wake up in the morning and think, right, I've got to get on, otherwise I won't get any money this week. Uh, or I must go and chase that outstanding uh, payment or I must go and make sure that delivery is made and must make sure the machine doesn't break down that we're working with or whatever it is. Uh, running a business is not easy. Uh, entrepreneurs who who drive forward uh, have to take a lot of pain as well as gain along with the better halves or their partners uh, as well very much so you know the, the old saying behind every great man there's a there's a woman pushing um, it's probably very true and behind every great woman there's probably a guy hard at work too so it, it, leadership is is something that uh, isn't easy and we we criticise leaders because it's an easy target, mm. but we don't understand, I think, fully what they have to go through to uh, to achieve what they're doing. Something that um, Edwina Curry told us um, when we asked her about politics and about going into politics, she mentioned to take 10 years out and learn life skills. Do, do you believe in that? I think that's a bit dramatic. Um Life skills come to you in all sorts of ways and the older you are and the more intelligent you become as we gain intelligence every day um, and we learn new things every day, uh, equip us all. So I, I don't think you need to take time out. I think politicians, in my opinion right now, are divorced from reality. Um, and I think that's been coming for a long time. Maybe it's about to change. Uh, what do I mean by divorce from reality? The bubble that they're in, whether it's a Westminster bubble, whether it's a, a European bubble, it doesn't make any difference. The bubble that they're in is is a, is the world they live in, and there's a world outside of it. I think it's about to be invaded, and certainly with the you know development of the social media and everything that's going on, that world is being invaded, and many would say that's a good a good thing. Okay, and entrepreneurship, how important is it to build? resilience very um, it, you need to be strong and whether that's uh, your strength is mental strength or physical strength it you to stay at the, the front of whatever you're doing you've got to be alert and fit uh, because if not your the life will just disappear around you and your activity will you will not become the success you want to be so in today's society, you've got to be quick thinking, uh, fast response, uh, and you've got to also be at the front end of, 
of what is actually going on. And that can be very difficult sometimes with depending on the area you're in. But uh, you need to be resilient. I mean, that's a that's a really important feature of every leader or entrepreneur. And resilience, you know, is the ability to keep going when others might not be. Look yeah. at the lady who swam the channel four times this week. Remarkable. She has amazing resilience and actually swept off course by nearly, what, 70 or 80 miles. Yeah. Um, I'd have given up, but she didn't. Well, I, I, I think there's a conspiracy. I think she's part of uh, quadruplets. <laughs> Four of them. The four of them. <laughs> you think you know what I mean, don't you? I was going to say triplets, but yeah. she, she did it four times. Yeah, she? she did, yeah. But that's my conspiracy. Yeah. But knowing what you know in business, in life, what type of business would you get into now? What would um, you start? Well, apart from my digital business, I'm heavily involved in the, in the allotments, the allotments, uh, which is great fun. Uh, again, a massive community of all sorts of people. Uh, yeah. When you get older in life, these are things are things you do as, as leisure, but it's leisure and fun and, and, and community. Um, so you're growing your, your own organic food now? Oh, yeah, I've done it for quite some time. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And Levin's uh, Allotments plug is um, one of the biggest allotment groups uh, in the country. Uh, with over 200 plots and they're all big plots uh, and you wouldn't believe that it's uh, just on the fringe of the city uh, or it's inside the city but you know just on the outer fringes of it and it's a massive community of people of all rates and they've been featured on on uh, Monty Don it's been featured on Google it's been all sorts of things on but it's a great community and something fresh air and live and Good produce at the end of it. You're part of that, aren't you? So is that a case of you giving something back of your oh, well, your partially, knowledge? Partially, yeah. Um, I've been I've been a gardener all my life, but uh, I had allotments since I was a boy. So uh, yeah, it, it's part of the hobbies, and I put back and help people all the time. Uh, I enjoy doing it. Smashing, Eric Hudson, NRTH Digital. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>